0: So we've opened up 2021 with a discussion of expectation, and even great expectation. Just to recap a little bit last week, we talked about having the audacity to ask, uh, having the the boldness to uh, to ask God for great things, even impossible things. Uh, so we, we uh, want to raise our expectation of God, which is... As we said, it sounded a little bit too bold, but I, I hope we we got over uh, the uh, kind of the, the feeling that that was um, out of place. Um, and having put that into context, that statement into context, um, and so we've emphasized that it's really the the low expectation is is not an indication of anything about God. It's an indication of ourself that needs to change. It's our our own viewpoint that limits uh, our uh, our expectations of God. So our message uh, this week, we're, we're talking about the bravery to believe. Now, a lot of you might think, if I asked, well, why would I ask something if I, if I didn't believe in it, right? Why would I ask God to do something? This, this sermon seems a little bit redundant uh, just from the get-go, because you're saying, have the, have the bravery to believe something, but I've already asked it, so, so, and, I, and I want to share with you uh, James chapter 1, and uh, as I, this is kind of something I guess I've, I've always wondered about, uh, as I, I've looked at this, and, and then in preparation for the sermon, I guess it kind of made maybe a little bit more sense, I mean I've understood it, but uh, maybe it made it a little bit more real to me. Uh, within the context of the sermon. He says, if anyone, verse 5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And I think this is the interesting conundrum. Here is, is a, a group of people or, or you know, a hypothetical people that That James is addressing he says if you're going to ask something, believe in it so there's it's obvious that that asking and faith are not you know necessarily connected There's a group of people if you ask for for something have have the courage to believe that it's it's going to happen so it's obviously possible to pray for something having the audacity to ask which we talked about last week without actually being convinced that you would get what you're praying for why would you do that right? that seems strange uh, and so James is addressing that that asking in other words is only the first step in, in this, this journey of faith as we're talking about I want to turn to, to numbers we're going to refer to this event uh, throughout this, um, through this, uh, really much of it is going to be based on on this event. Uh, Numbers chapter thirteen. Numbers chapter thirteen. <clears throat> and we're going to be uh, starting in verse uh, twenty-five. Numbers thirteen verse 25 beginning. And without giving the whole background that this chapter is, is they're, they're camped in, in uh, right across from, from Jericho and they're getting ready to, to, to go in or, or they're, they're getting ready to attempt to go in. Uh, we know that after this, uh, they're going to wander the wilderness for, uh, for 40 years. Uh, they made a, some wrong decisions. Uh, and, and this is really how the wrong decision comes about. Uh, so verse 25 says, They returned from spying out the land for 40 days. And after they departed, they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of Israel, uh, of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them, to the whole congregation. And they showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, they said, We went to the land where you sent us, and it truly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified. They're very large. And we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. If you're wondering who the the Amalekites are, they're they're a group of people that that still practiced human sacrifice. (laughs) Not a nice group of people. Um... The, the, uh, the Hittites were there, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are, well, able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours his inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anna coming uh, from the giants. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Uh, and so we were in their sight. Uh, and of course, we, if we go on a little bit further, here it only mentions Caleb. We're going to find out that Joshua was a part. Joshua and Caleb seem to be on one side. It doesn't mention uh, in this section Joshua it will in chapter 14. I don't know if maybe he was kind of wavering and, and joined after Caleb. Uh, but Caleb seems to be the, the one who initially stands up and, 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 and is trying to, uh, to, to encourage people to go in and try to have faith. And I want to talk about... Uh, we're going to phrase it in the sense of optimism and pessimism. And I want to talk about us. We are bred for pessimism. Right? Uh, pessimism... Appeals to several human instincts that we have. Uh, first of all, it appeals to my intellectual sense. Right? Uh, you can, as we go through this this passage, we can see a, a, a logic, an intellectuality of these these people are. They present their case, but then they they go through the logic of why something shouldn't be done. Um, and so. Really, to be a pessimist, what do I have to do? I have to critique something. Right? I just have to say, Here, here's the reasons why this isn't possible, or here's the reasons why it's a bad idea. Whatever the, the, however the pessimism takes its form, right, it presents itself from the, from the standpoint of intellectuality. Look at how smart I am that I know all the problems with this. Right? If the problem solve. If you're trying to problem solve something The the, the group of people that have really all the data Are the people you'll you'll find That the people with all the data tend to be pessimists They know everything why something shouldn't be done They never have the data of how to overcome these obstacles Okay, what's the solution? Well, they have no data for that they have all, all the information about why this is wrong, why this is horrible. You see, it's, it's intellectual to critique. It also appeals to our sense of satisfaction. Here's what I mean by that. that maybe it sounds opposite. <laughs> maybe that sounds, you know, counterintuitive. But just bear with me for just a second. <clears throat> we don't like failure, do we? I hate failure when i When I have a failure it to me and I, I assume i 'm like everybody else here it, it I perceive something negative about me. I was not able to do it now maybe maybe i was i set my expectations too high for something, and it was ir- irrational for me to Expect myself to be able to do that, but whatever the case, I feel that I am a failure. That's that's the way I, as a human being, am. I was not able to do that, and it might. That's I suppose if if I'm doing something, but in any situation where where I, I would like a particular result, if if I sense a failure coming. Right. I don't want to be left with the negative emotion of failure. And so what I do is I set myself up to not have the negative feeling at the end. So what do I do? I shift the negative feeling to the beginning. I I, I get the pessimism out. I start lowering expectations. That way, if, if it does work out, see, I'm left with the good feeling. If it turns out worse than what I expected, see, that's a negative drop. That's going the wrong direction. So, so my sense of satisfaction wants kind of an uptick at the end in emotion. So, so I set myself lower and hope for a little bit up. And then, okay, it's, going, it's trending up. Now it might be at the same spot, but because I set my expectations low, I feel better about it. See, and that's how pessimism works. It, it appeals to that sense of, of wanting the good emotion at the end. If you're prepared for the worst when the worst doesn't happen it's a bonus by comparison. And so the pessimist identifies himself doesn't identify himself as a pessimist. What do pessimists call themselves? Realists. So these ten spies here likely I mean in their own language call themselves realists. I, I assume that's how they position it. Listen <coughs> We're just being realists. Let's look at the data. These men are nine feet tall, whatever, I don't know. We are five foot three. I'm just being a realist. This is the data. Okay, I understand these are big grapes. I'm still five foot three. This is the information. Uh, Okay, so here's more data. There are like seven different groups of people that don't like us. They kill their own children. They sacrifice them on an altar. This is the group of people that we're supposed to go in. We don't exactly have a forge out here in the middle. We've left. We don't have anything. We've only been out here for like a couple of years. We don't have a lot of stuff to go. These people are defending their own territory. That makes things more difficult. They have fortified cities. This makes it more difficult. We've spent time spying out. This is what you asked us to do. We we went and spied out the land. That's what you wanted. This is the report. This is the data. We're realists. Not going to happen. We're stating the facts. And all of this is really the same. Am I off? I am. I apologize for that. No, nope, I'm on. I'm on. So I don't know if it's, it's not picking up. I'm hearing myself. It's on. All right. I think they're more worried about the people at home than the people in the audience. I'm loud enough for the people here. Um, so, uh, this is really the same premise that atheism makes. I want to explain that. So, what's the same premise that atheists make? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to continue to, to make some points from, from Numbers chapter 13. But Hebrews chapter 11. And we know Hebrews, right? chapter 11 is the, the faith chapter. Uh, and all this great, I think the great accounts of all these wonderful people. There's a statement in here, I think, that's, a, that's really important. Verse 6, he says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So so here, Paul combines two thoughts. First of all, you have to believe in the existence of God. Just from a general standpoint, to please God a faith that pleases God must be premised on the idea that He exists, first of all. And second of all, it has to go to His character that He does. You say, He is and He does. That's, the, that's what this boils down to. And so if I, as a pessimist, if I deny the the standpoint or or position that God does, to God it's no different than denying the premise that He is. To, To live in pessimism, I might as well be an atheist. Because to please God, I have to accomplish both. I have to have confidence in both things. There's not much separation, really, between the two things. Think about it this way. If I'm doubting the he does part, what am I saying? I'm saying God is not an omnipotent God. I might be allowing his existence, but I'm denying his existence as what he is. And at the end result, I'm denying him. Think about it in a different perspective. Uh, There are a lot of cultures that worship a deity. Do we acknowledge that they worship God? No. Because they've changed the definition of the God that they worship. At the at the root of any worship of deity, there's a there's a, a core concept, right? Uh, so so you could boil down uh, Hinduism, right? You could you could you could boil that down to a concept of pantheism, and that's its general premise. Do we accept that as? And does God accept that as worship of Him? No, because it changes the definition. It's deity they worship, but it changes His definition. So in doing that, God says that it invalidates it. Right? Uh, Mormonism has a, a concept, a core concept. The core concept of uh, of Mormonism is this statement: "As God was, so we are; as God is, so we shall become." In other words, their premise of the definition of God is that God was on a different planet, a human being of some sort at some point in time, and he's evolved or he's progressed to a to a to a deity. And that's what we are going to become. We'll become our own deities with our own planets and create things and have wives and all that. That's their core idea of God. They've changed the definition of God. Does God accept it? No. Now it's technically a deity. And you can go through anything that alters that. So if I, by my pessimism, deny the fact that God answers prayer, and does impossible things. I've changed the definition of God. I've removed Him as an omnipotent God. And God says, I don't accept it. It doesn't please me. So I want to talk about the choice of optimism. And the reason we need to talk about the choice of optimism is because we often think of them as personality and character traits. Or, or personality traits. And I want to change our the way we think of things here. Uh, personality traits and character traits are different. There's maybe They're not exactly synonyms. We talk about nurture. You ever heard the discussion of nurture versus nature, right? Nature is what you're given. And nurture is... How you're developed, whether, whether someone instills something through you or, or, or through your own uh, talents and, and things like that, you develop. And, and, and I want to come to that in just a second, but before we do, I want to talk about unfair comparisons. Because this, like, we talk about Hebrews chapter 11 and these, these, great, these great men. Do you ever feel estranged from these men? Like, these are heroes. Like, I'm me and I'm way down here and we, we look at the heroes and, and, and like how can I ever be like them I, I look at my life and I go this doesn't match and, and I, I look at the I look at Abraham Abraham left and, and didn't know where he was traveling no GPS and, and he goes to a land that God will show him I've never done that, and I'm never going to do that. Right? That's not going to happen. And I, I feel so estranged from, from these great heroes. I can even look at people I know the same way. I, I can think of, a, of, of men, great men in, in my lifetime, and I, I can think, I will never be that. Man, they did some incredible things. They're doing incredible things. I, I feel so small by comparison. And the reality is, I've made them fictional. They're like fictional characters almost. Except, I mean, with the, uh, even the people that I know, it's almost like they're fictional. It's like, how? Ha! Huh? I don't understand these people. How did they get this? Then look at Hebrews eleven and go through the list, and look at the things that they did. I mean, take the whole. I mean, some of them, there's not a lot of details about them. But the ones that we have a lot of details about, look at some of the things they did. I know most of you here, to some degree, I'm pretty sure that no one here has murdered their neighbor to cover up, you know, affairs. I, I think I know you well enough to know that that didn't happen. I hope. A man after God's own heart. That happened after those men achieved great things. Now, don't you, I feel like I'm supposed to be going this direction, and and I I fail. And sometimes I like I look at myself. Sometimes I'm like I was better like 20 years ago. What happened? I mean, that's the, the reality of things when we remove the fictional nature from these men, the same is true. When, when we take all of the data, we are talking about data and realism, about these men, these great heroes, these great women, we see the same thing. We see maybe an overly, maybe a general trajectory up, but, but we see these high points and low points. That's just humanity. And so I want to kind of not... But when we look at these men, I want to not put them in fictional status. Because that's just not reality. We go up and we go down. We have points of optimism and we have points of pessimism. It is not... Pessimism and optimism are not personality traits. How do I know that? From my own text, I can see that if you have any type of uh, randomly selected group, right, you will find a, a statistical. The, the, any, if I just randomly select a group, I will find that things in there follow a, 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 a pattern, right? The, the, you're going to find that things that are random are You'll find about half of this and half of that on some type of a scale. Maybe some are going to extremely on this side and some are, you know, uh, I think they call it the standard deviation, right? You're going to find most everybody's kind of in the middle, but some are on this side and some are this side. And a few have really this and a few really don't have it. Whatever the case is, that's, it's a statistical thing. What do we find here? We find two people and maybe one kind of is really an optimist. And ten of them, are that's a statistical anomaly. That doesn't happen. Why? Because we as humans are bred for pessimism. We tend this way. And it's a character development that says, I'm not going to be like that. It's a choice. And it's a difficult choice. And that's why we see a few of them like that. Now, if we looked at... Things that are personality traits, if we could go back in time, we would find that probably six of them were extroverts and six of them were introverts. Right? That's, a, that's a personality trait. Anything that was just be randomly selected in this group, we would find about half and half. But we develop character traits... If I took a survey of garages, we would find that probably the same percentage of garages are messy. Right? To some degree or more. I mean, some would be eh. And then some would be like my garage. Right? Where it's difficult to pick your way through it. Why? A clean garage is not a, a personality trait, it's a character trait. Now, of those garages that are neat, we would probably also find that they tend to be more in the older person category. Why? Because those are things that you develop over time. You say, I am tired of a messy garage. See, Now, I know my, my age group, I've only had a garage for five years of my life. So I'm still in the process of... I've got, a, I've got a section on my wall where my power tools are hung up. That's where I've progressed to in five years. So I'm, I'm getting there. right? The rest of it is a disaster area. Right? We're still in the process of developing the character trait. It's not a personality trait. Now, there might be some people that just are neatniks. Right? Everything is neat. Okay, there's, there's, a, there's a small end of this category of people. There's difference between personality and character. Character is what we develop. And it's a choice. I make choices to have the garage I have. And I make choices to be either optimistic or pessimistic. And that's why, that's why James is saying, listen, when you do this, when you have the audacity to ask, you need to have the bravery to believe it. It's a choice. I can't live any longer on the, on the premise that my negativity was given to me at birth. In that regards, I was a clean slate when I was born. And I've developed that by reading By being raised, by by learning that that brings me a good feeling at the end. And that makes me feel intelligent. And they're just excuses. It was a choice. The spies, all 12 of them, agreed on the set of data. Okay? Caleb and Joshua did not deny the height of these people. They didn't say, no, only, don't listen to these ten men. They're only six foot two. They didn't deny the data. And the, the pessimists didn't say, the grapes really aren't that big. Don't pay any attention. It's not worth it. They didn't deny the data. Everybody did not, agrees this is the set of information. But within this set of information, there was a choice. And this is why we talk about pessimism and optimism. They're a choice. They just chose what to focus on. That's what there was. What are we going to focus on? The minority made a choice to focus on the best possible outcome. And that is difficult. The best possible outcome is, uh, is I, I love statistics. Uh, it's, if I wasn't a preacher, I'd probably be in doing something with statistics. And I, and I remember uh, doing the diagram. these are all the possible options, and we, we talked about permutations and combinations and everything. And, and you can draw in a tree yes or no, and then this has yes or no, and however many choices, and you find out all the number of possibilities. Well, the best possible outcome on that tree is one line. If you have three choices of two things, you have eight possible outcomes. Right? And only one of those eight is the best possible outcome. And the more choices you have, the more things that you encounter, this can go good, this can go bad, the smaller and the smaller and the smaller out of all those things, there's still one line that is all yeses. Becomes pretty hard So focusing on the best possible outcome Is difficult Look at all the things they encounter. Okay, we've got fortresses That's a negative uh, Okay, we've got this group of people This group of the, This, 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 and this These are the groups of people right? Okay, now what? Now we've got our size differences right? All these things are stacking up against And there's one best possible outcome And Caleb and Joshua say Yes, but there's a best possible outcome I'm choosing to look at that, and they're saying, I'm a realist. (laughs) There's like 37 negative outcomes here. How in the world? No, because there's one. That's hard. We are bred to look at the other 37. Having talked about us as humans... I tend to share a lot of things about me that are like my garage and things like that. I like to use those type of illustrations. I, I rarely use things that I've done good. I don't like to do that. It's just not my nature. However, when I do, it's, it's not because I realize there's anything good about me in that sense that, that you need to be like me. Uh, but because a lot of times I've, I go back, and this kind of plays into that thing where <clears throat> uh, I realized that sometimes 25 years ago, I was like, I had this epiphany. Like, and I don't, <laughs> like, where did that go? Uh, I'm, I'm now 48. I was, you know, 23. How do I, I feel sometimes like 23-year-old me was, like, had it a little bit better and figured something out. And we do that same thing. Here's Abraham. Here's Abraham, not always the greatest of faith, and sometimes his his younger years, quote unquote younger years, when he was like seventy, he was he was like way ahead of, you know, hundred year old hundred year old uh, Abraham. But there was an event that happened uh, that was really formative and kind of placed all of this into, and it kind of happened by random. I, uh, I had a, uh, an account that I was supposed to clean. It wasn't my account. It was uh, I cleaned for a friend. I worked for a friend, a Christian friend, and so I had the keys to a car dealership. When I mean a car dealership, I don't mean like a used car dealership. I mean like Chrysler, linking you know, a big showroom floor that has to get cleaned uh, in uh, Saratoga. Uh, I had the key. <clears throat> Those of you who know me well and have been around me for five minutes know that it's on a routine basis that I cannot find my keys. Uh, for that reason, I did not keep this key on my key ring. I was tried to treat it a little more special than that. However, something happened, and uh, I could not find the key. And uh, I started to like hyperventilate. I, I tore my room apart. Uh, I was staying with uh, a family, and I was pretty much in one area, and I tore that apart. I put it back together I probably like three times. I went down to the office. I did have a key uh, separate to the, to the office. I, I took my, uh, my supervisor. Uh, I took the, door, the hinges off of his office door that was locked. He doesn't know that yet. Um, so and I searched. I'm like, maybe I left it there. And he's like, I don't know. you gotta, you got to clean it. I don't have another key. I'm like, oh, no? And I, 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 everywhere we, that afternoon we had, we had taken, switched a, a, a machine out of a van, it was a janitorial company so, so we had taken a carpet machine and taken it from one van and put it into another the van was getting old uh, so I, thought, well, I helped there, I, I went down with a flashlight now I've got to do this anytime overnight I've got to do this and I, I'm, I'm with a flashlight out in the yard uh, looking for a, for a key I, I'm I'm sweating I'm not just because it's summertime, but I'm, I'm, I know that see, this is not my account. This is somebody else's bread and butter. Right? This is his job. And I'm starting to sweat. And uh, he's like, listen, I'm going to bed. Don't call me. Just go and clean it. You've got to find the key. You search, grab a coffee, sit down, do something, think about where you were, find the key. I'm, I'm thinking, I've looked everywhere, I've torn my apartment, I went down again, took the hinges off the door, I must have missed it. I went down again to the, to the lot, and I looked again for the key, I'm looking, I've looked everywhere, there's no more places, and I just sat down. And I started praying, probably the first thing I should have done, not the last thing. And I said, God, I don't know, but I know that tonight I'm going to be cleaning that car dealership. I don't know how. And I pictured it. I prayed that, and immediately, I immediately, it's Wednesday night, I got to ride to church. I went, checked the, the car. The Key's sitting right in the car. That freaks me out. <laughs> I don't know about you. I still get shivers thinking about that. And it taught me something. Just that moment. I don't know how, but I know. Now, I had no rational reason to say that or to think that. I've looked realist. I've looked everywhere. It's gone. Choose. To ignore the data that says no. Because there's a piece of data that, I, that always gets excluded in realism and it is God. God says, L- 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 James wrote, don't ask with doubting. God gives all liberally and without reproach. This is the piece of information that they were not counting on. In all their data set, they forgot the information about God. This is the most important information. Caleb didn't forget it. Joshua didn't forget it. They forgot it. The ten men forgot this. Important information. All they thought about was what they could see and record and write down. And so, last week I asked you to do something difficult. Have the audacity to ask something impossible. That's hard. So we're up in the ante this week. Now believe that it's going to happen. That's harder. I want to go back to Numbers. And we're just going to conclude with this verse. Because I think it's important, it's in Numbers 14, it's the rest of the story. Remember the Paul Harvey, the rest of the story? This is where we find Joshua kind of in the story a little bit. I alluded to it. Uh, Numbers 14, beginning in uh, verse 6, But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. And they spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good land. Remember the good data. And if the Lord delights in us, look at how this is phrased. He will bring us into this land. It wasn't even an option. He will give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. In the previous chapter, Caleb says, we're able to do it. But there's a rest of the story because it was more than just the, the ability. It was more, it was more than just one out of many possible options. See, the choice is to understand that with God, the uh, other options don't even exist. <laughs> Do you understand that? That's amazing. And that's why was like 25 year old me or 23 year old me had it figured out by accident. Like sometimes now, as a 48 year old guy what have I become I've become a realist and 23 year old me was too stupid to know about realism and had it a little bit better and I wish I could go back and be something other than a realist be an optimist choose that Choose to believe what can't be believed. Let's kind of together.